It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Lover's Walk in Hyde Park, W2. One street west of the last sighting alive of Ruby Bolton. A short walk southwest of the last night of fun by the bloody butler. One gate down from the suicide and murder of the former lovers Julia Mangan and Robert Williams. And in another odd mirror of both tragic cases, the death pact of a couple who failed to see. Coming soon to Murder Mile. As an ill-defined bridleway off the main walkway around the eastern edge of Hyde Park, it's strange that a place so littered with death is still called Lover's Walk. And yet this is where they stroll. You'll see all types of couples here, whether it's the old ones sweetly holding hands, the young ones sucking face, the new ones bonking and banging their bits together like they'll win a prize if they erase each other's genitals. And then there's the ones with the sprogs who look as ravaged as a Guantanamo Bay prisoner. Having been waterboarded by urine, tortured by a tiny tot with lungs like a pig with piles, and imprisoned in a pepper pig-covered hell, they'll confess to literally anything in return for a five-minute nap, a half-pint with a pal, and a conversation which doesn't involve stains, fluids, or orifices. For love to last, it needs to be built on a strong foundation of trust, time, and friendship. Sadly, too many loves are doomed to failure, as being too hasty to believe that they've met the one, and fearing that if they don't get hitched this second, that their lover for life will leave them forever. So many relationships end in breakup, separation and divorces, and occasionally they end in death. Just shy of midnight... On Wednesday the 26th of August 1942, across a wooden bench on Lover's Walk, sat 44-year-old Gladys Wilson and her lover, 28-year-old Second Lieutenant Ronald Kuras. 
both being married to others, who the war had split apart. Neither Gladys nor Ronnie had planned to have affairs. As like so many others, they were just seeking a little affection during the turbulent time of loss and grief. After ten days of romance, being sat on a bench holding hands, they both knew their relationship was to end. But whereas she would see their love as simply fleeting, for him, their love was to last forever. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 192 I Love Him, But. To many, it may seem easy to condemn these two as nothing but common cheats. A morally loose pair of lascivious lushes who slipped their marital vows before God as easily as they slipped inside a seedy bed of lust to fondle and fornicate. But this is not a story about a tawdry affair. This is a tale about two good people lost amidst the horrors of war who, like so many others, was simply seeking affection. Gladys Maud Pearson was born in and around Fulham in 1898. She would live to the age of 44, but blessed with an ageless face, old-fashioned morals and a youthful heart. The newspaper stated that she was somewhere between 30 and 50, which may have made a bristle blush, or even chuckle. The first decades of the 20th century were a time of hardship and grief, as the world was hit by an onslaught of tragedy. The First World War, Spanish Flu, Influenza and the Great Depression had left billions broke, lost and bereft, with their lives only held together by the strength of their family's love. The Pearsons were one such family hit hard by grief. As with her mother Maud, left a grieving widow with two young children to feed. Gladys and her younger brother Cyril were raised in the middle-class affluence of Kingston with Uncle William and Auntie Kate. Tragedy aside, their childhood was loving. So it's no surprise that Gladys sought out any hint of affection, worried that any love she was given could easily be her last. Gladys was a woman who loved to be loved, and who doesn't. And although remarkably youthful, she was as ordinary as most. With a slim build, short brown hair and pale skin. She had lips that longed to be kissed, a hand which ached to be held, and a set of chestnut eyes which cried out for someone special to mend a broken heart. Keen to rebuild her life and to find love again, 
1916, her mother Maud married William Crawley, a respected wool merchant who was good, decent and kind. And they remained together until their deaths in their 70s and their 80s. According to those who knew her, Gladys was a solid woman. She was reliable and caring. She was warm and big-hearted. And a woman who needed to be loved and to love those who needed to be loved. As an average woman with an ordinary life, we know little of her circumstances before the day it ended. Married in her early 20s, Gladys Wilson, as she became, found happiness with a man she loved, and together in a cosy home, they had a son who they nicknamed Budge. Her life was simple, but good. As a romantic, throughout her life, she kept a diary in which she jotted down everything. From those wondrous moments which made her the woman she was, to her most intimate of thoughts, whether her fears and foibles, issues or aches, loves and losses. Being so private, she wasn't the type to gossip about her worries. But in her diary, she would spill her heart. On Tuesday the 25th of August 1942, the day before she died, in her diary, she would commit to paper some of the most heartbreaking and tragic words this woman would ever write. Unaware, it would be some of her last. It was a simple sentence, comprised of just nine words. The first four of which were, I love him, but... September 1939 saw the start of a war which ripped loved ones apart in a way which had never been seen on the scale before. The Second World War was a global conflict which wouldn't leave a single family untouched by grief, displaced by tyranny, bombed to oblivion, evacuated for safety or ordered to fight. For Gladys... As with so many wives and mothers, with her loving husband and her only child conscripted and shipped overseas, she had gone from being a woman of purpose to being a lost lonely lady rattling around an empty house with no one to care for. As if she was already bereaved, this once bustling home of her beloved family now hung with the eerie ghosts of their presence, their photographs, their clothes, and even their smell. Only now, this woman who loved to be loved was all alone. But as the war dragged on, from a skirmish it was said would be done by Christmas, to a fight with no end in sight, 
Gladys did as most women did and knuckled down to her life and her work. In 1940, she moved in with her mother and stepfather and being conscripted into the first aid nursing yeomanry, later renamed the Women's Transport Service. As a skilled truck driver and motorbike rider, Gladys served her country, shuttling the injured on the front lines of North France, Norway and East Scotland. With her beloved boys far from home, the war had proven a distraction from the gaping hole in Gladys's heart. Work had given her a purpose and a focus. But what she needed most was affection. Thanks to the stories we've been told, we have a rose-tinted view of how the soldiers who fought and their sweethearts back home held each other's pictures to their hearts and remained faithful forever. War pushed ordinary people to the brink, not just of their safety and sanity, but also of their love. By 1942, three years into the war, Britain had taken a turn for the worst. As the Luftwaffe's bombers ravaged the skies, Nazi hordes perched on the shores, and so thick and fast were our losses that even Dunkirk would be rewritten forever as a success of our British pluck rather than a failure of our forces. People were rightfully in fear, as with no end in sight, those whose anthem claimed, we shall never be slaves, look likely to lose. Before war had begun, the people needed hope and love. In the first few months of the war, the marriage rate in Britain skyrocketed by 250% with many marrying those they barely knew, to fulfill a dream before they died, and with some even getting wed and having a baby to avoid conscription. Marriage requires a strong foundation to survive so many months or years apart. But having hastily committed to a life of love with a stranger they were little more than smitten by, in 1939, the divorce rate was one in six. By 1946, it had risen to one in four. In terms of statistics, the interwar years were chaotic. Owing to the mass slaughter, 1941-42 was the only year of the century where the death rate outweighed the birth rate. But with so many parents widowed, and too many marriages over, the greatest victim of this rush to find love was the children. As by 1946, adoption had risen and peaked. It's impossible to say how many children were put up for adoption, having been born out of wedlock, or made by mistake as a brief dalliance between two lonely people 
who was simply looking for affection. But this is not to shame them, as what happened, happened. In the turbulent time of war, as everyone drowned in a sea of misery and death, the only antidote was love. For some, that was sex. But for others, it was those special things they missed. A little kiss, a warm hug, a lingering smile, or holding hands. Gladys and Ronnie were just two regular people, married to others but parted by the war, who found love in each other's arms and who knew, when all of this was over, it would never be spoken of again. But what began as a bit of fun soon blossomed into a love that they could no longer control. So besotted was Ronnie that she became his one true love. So smitten was Gladys that in her diary she would write four words about the man she had fallen for. I love him. But... Ronald Kouros was a 28-year-old second lieutenant in the Polish Army Corps. With his homeland smashed and its military shattered within the first month of the war by a dual invasion by Germany and Russia, as millions were displaced, 80,000 soldiers went into exile and formed the first Polish Corps. Formed in September 1940, 14,500 soldiers were there to protect a 200-kilometre stretch of the Scottish shore between the Firth of Forth, north of Edinburgh, to Montrose, south of Aberdeen, as Norway had fallen to the Nazis. Having built sea defences and gun batteries to repel any invasion, the first Polish corps were billeted in the small town of Cooper in Fife, which for the next few years would become their temporary home. For second Lieutenant Kouros, known as Ronnie, as welcoming as the locals were to these visitors from a foreign land, their kindness could never fully erase the losses that they felt. Of the country they had lost, of the lives they had left behind, and of the family and friends they may never see again. Through the fate of being a soldier, Ronnie had survived. But being ordinary civilians, he had no idea if his wife or children had lived. With millions displaced and dead, he had no way to contact them and no knowledge if they even knew where he was, in an unwinnable war which the Allies were losing. Three years had passed in a flash, but to those still grieving, it felt like a lifetime. Cooper was a nice place. It was safe and friendly. To make those lost souls feel at home, Polish delicacies were cooked. Strong beer was never in short supply 
and as a reminder of the land they were fighting for. From the Tower of the Corn Exchange, each day a bugler played the St. Mary's Call of Krakow, in tribute to a lone sentry who, while sounding the evasion alarm in 1241, was killed mid-note. As welcoming as the town was, Ronnie struggled to survive in this strange land so far from home. His work had kept him busy, and his friends had made him smile. But what he missed most was love. As an ambulance driver for the Women's Transport Service, it was sheer coincidence that Gladys was billeted at Lodge 19 at 72 Bonnygate in Cooper barely half a mile from Ronnie's barracks. With her diary lost to the mists of time, we shall never know how Ronnie and Gladys met. Perhaps being injured, as a mix of Florence Nightingale and Sterling Moss, maybe Gladys had rescued Ronnie, and the two got chatting over some surgical swabs and the smell of iodine. Maybe they shared a kiss being hunkered down in a bunker on manoeuvres. Or maybe, needing to kick off their boots after a hard day at work. These two lonely people caught each other's eyes over a pint. It began as a friendship. Two lovers with heavy hearts, finding solace in each other's company being an easy remedy for their grief and a distraction for their pain. All they wanted was to feel loved again. To neither Gladys nor Ronnie, it wouldn't have seemed like they were engaged in an illicit affair, as all they were doing was chatting, smiling and laughing. And maybe, having taken a long walk in the dunes, holding hands and sharing a long lingering silence as the waves broke. They kissed for the first time and they knew they were in love. It was wrong and they would have known it. But being so many miles and years apart from their loved ones, although absence makes the heart grow fonder, It's hard to love a memory as it fades every day. Only this was a love they knew would never last. June 1942. The outcome of the war hung on a knife edge as the Battle of Midway had proved a turning point in the Pacific. Tobruk was captured in a defeat that Churchill called a disgrace, and the first reports had filtered back that gas was being used in concentration camps to exterminate the Jews. Horror was everywhere. But for Ronnie and Gladys, their hearts were broken for reasons closer to home. 
Gladys was no longer an ambulance driver in Cooper. She had been requisitioned back to London. London was her home. Cooper was his. And with both ordered to serve their country, as and when their superiors decreed. War had ripped them from their loved ones once before. And now it had, once again. Being 420 miles apart, with a limited train network, and issued only a few days' leave per year. They saw each other as often as they could, but with the long distance taking up a full day, it was never enough. To fill the void of loss and loneliness, they wrote as often as they could. But even a scented envelope, a wallet-sized snapshot, and a few handwritten pages full of words of longing and dreams of what may be, could never repair this new hole which had ripped into their hearts. It's uncertain why, whether an order or an opportunity, but Gladys applied for a job in the mechanized transport corps. In need of skilled drivers, the MTC drove dignitaries of foreign and British agencies. They shuttled SEO agents to airfields. And as Gladys had done, they drove ambulances into war zones in Syria, Egypt and Palestine, where Gladys's husband and son were based. Once again, for this brave and selfless woman, it was a chance to serve her country and to rekindle her life with the loved ones she had lost so long ago. Having been successful in her interview, Gladys would initially be posted in the northern city of Leeds, with her attachment beginning at the end of August. On Friday the 15th of August 1942, issued a 72-hour pass to see his beloved in London, Ronnie booked a room at a boarding house at 13 Coliseum Terrace, just to the side of Baker Street in Regent's Park. Across this long weekend of love, they packed in as much as any couple could. They dined over candlelit dinners, they took in a West End show, and they walked hand in hand seeing the sights. But unable to take their eyes off each other, they knew it would be for the last time. With his 72-hour leave almost up, Sunday the 17th of August was to be their last day together. But unable to part, Ronnie did the unthinkable and risking two years in prison, he went absent without leave. Classed as a criminal, and with his career in jeopardy, this secret couple who had signed in under the assumed name of Mr. and Mrs. Gurus, laid low, kept quiet, and spent much of their time in each other's arms, knowing that their brief relationship was coming to an end. On Sunday the 23rd of August, 
one week before she was due to start her new job, Ronnie met Gladys's mother, where they chatted over tea and cake. Although it's uncertain if Gladys introduced him as a friend or a boyfriend. With their time almost up and their savings almost spent, by the Tuesday, Gladys and Ronnie had checked out of the boarding house. Later found upon their person, they had both written passages in their diaries that day. Although only part of it was found, Ronnie's was tragic and paranoid. It read, We are absolutely two broken people. She give up always everything for me. Also, her life. Whereas Gladys's last entry in her diary, addressed to her mum, was less of a suicide note, but was more of a last will and testament, which spoke of her fears she could never say in words. It read, To my mother, just in case anything happens to me today, Ronnie is still here. He should have returned yesterday, but says he cannot live without me in the awful place where his regiment is. I hope everything will be all right, but Ronnie is in a terrible state about going back. We have had a wonderful leave together, but he threatens all the time to kill himself and me. And following her tragic premonition, she wrote the most heartbreaking words this lonely woman would ever write. I love him, but I don't want to die. On Wednesday the 26th of August 1942, just before midnight, Ronnie and Gladys walked as many couples do, along the tree-lined seclusion of Lover's Walk in Hyde Park. With her bags packed, her lodging booked, and a new job awaiting her in Leeds, she had told her mother, I won't be late. But she was. After ten days of romance, being sat holding hands, they both knew their relationship was to end. But whereas she would see their love as fleeting, a little affection to repair her lonely heart. For him, their love was to last forever, as this would be their last goodbye. Hearing the shots, at roughly 11.40pm, 
PCs Heath and Gillespie were on duty in Hyde Park when they heard three shots and ran in the direction. 100 yards west of Stanhope Gate, across a wooden bench on Lover's Walk, they found a uniformed soldier and a woman in a civvies, collapsed and bleeding. With two bullet wounds to her left temple, one behind his right ear, and an army-issue Smith & Wesson, .38 caliber revolver in his right hand, with three of six rounds spent. Discovering their diaries upon their person, it was no mystery to the officers what had happened, as death often permeates this path. With Gladys sprawled across his chest, and with no defensive wounds, in a moment of surprise, he had shot her in the head while she was distracted by something else. Clutching his dying lover to his body, this couple, who were not to be, would die in each other's arms, whether she wanted to or not. As the ambulance arrived, it proved to be a miracle that Gladys had clung on to a sliver of life. But by the time she had arrived at nearby St. George's Hospital, the doctor declared her life as extinct. An inquest was held at Westminster Coroner's Court, concluded without a jury retiring. It was determined that 2nd Lieutenant Ronald Curris had murdered Gladys Wilson and that he had committed suicide whilst of unsound mind. Giving evidence, Gladys's brother Cyril would state she would have been the last person in the world to take her own life. It's tragic that, as a woman who loved to be loved, the war had driven Gladys to find affection in the arms of another man. But instead of finding warmth, she found only death. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
there we go there we go folks a nice happy one oh happy days happy days oh a love story well there you go what do you expect what do you expect from love stories they're never if you that's the thing isn't it if you if you get a love story and the love story is all lovey-dovey and people are kissing each other and it's all shit like that it's just boring whereas when you get a classic love story where people end up dead you go oh that was true love isn't it yeah well, one of my favourite films, I, I hate to say it, but it is one of my favourite films, is Brief Encounter. Yeah, I think I was off work one day many, many, many years ago. It was on the BBC, it was on a, in the mid-afternoon. I didn't fancy watching anything on telly and I thought, well, it's a classic. I should really watch it. i going to open some windows. Uh, and I blubbed all the way through it. Even though it was Noel Coward and all that, absolutely darling, all that shite. God, it was good. I really enjoyed it. So uh, I happily w will watch Brief Encounter uh, at any moment. It's one of those great films. I'm just putting on a cup of tea. You know that. Shall I do a tea or coffee? Oh, no, let's do an herbal. Let's do an herbal tea. Because I've, I've had too many teas already. I've had like 500 today. There we go. No cake today. I do actually have an apple pie to eat for din-dins. Uh, I can't go up to the bakery today because the bakery doesn't open on a Monday. Bastards. And they always close at two. Why close at two? Why not stay open until six so people who are coming home from work go, oh, I must get a loaf of bread. Oh, I must. Oh, I'll pick up some cakes on the way home. I would say that's the key time to stay open. I guess it's because they're awake at like 2am baking or shop. Have, have the baker come in, do all the baking stuff, then the sellers keep it open for a couple more hours. I would buy stuff. There we go. Uh, what I've just taken off your little hood so you can hear me a bit better. You'll also hear helicopters flying past outside. You might hear the rain because it's been pissing down for four days straight. Uh, so I'm looking forward to us all getting a... Um, uh, a water drought warning very shortly saying don't use your home blues pipes we haven't got any water um so there we go um a little sad story that one i found this one ages ago absolutely ages ago but it was a little bit too similar to the barbara shuttleworth episode they're not they're not very similar it's not too far away but it was a, a lady who fell in love with a polish soldier who couldn't return home and uh so I deliberately left it a long time so we could uh, we could they could not be next to each other, but there is similarities to others, especially the um, the one as mentioned, which is one of the questions shortly. So I need to shut my gob up. Um, what else is going on? It's 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 not quite cold out. It's uh, very autumny. All the leaves are falling down. I keep I keep clearing off like big sackfuls of leaves off the top of the boat because when it rains all the leaves pour down and then you clear them off and the next day you've just got the boat is covered in leaves again so it's very it's very wintry outside but it's not quite cold uh, it's water bottle season so i have two water bottles my day and my night one oh, i'm just gonna pop on my tea there we go you can hear it brewing there we go nice cup of peppermint before i head off to my little coffee shop where I can happily say it's a bit, it's a bit steamy in there. I don't like that. There's, there's no windows. There's one door, and ah, oh, oh, just hurt my wrist. And then some miserable fucker in there keeps going. Excuse me, can you close the door? I'm getting a bit cold. Getting a bit cold. And it's like, oh, we'd love a little bit of fresh air in there. But there's always some miserable little wanker in there. 
I might just I might just open the door and uh, pretend to fix it or something just to let some air in today. Um, so yeah, it's water bottle season, which is good. Nothing nicer than sitting down uh, with a hot water bottle at night and going to bed with one. Eva won't let me get into bed. I have to sit at the end of the bed, pining like a little puppy. She enjoys that, uh, and it's it's not cold enough for Eva uh, to have the fire on. Uh, so we're not allowed the fire on yet. Hence, uh, while I write this and edit this, I wear uh, my woolen hat and fingerless gloves like Albert Steptoe. And to keep me warm every night, I make some, make some nice spicy homemade kebabs. Not not good kebabs for Eva. She likes the, the elephant leg that you have to shave and you put like a super strength chilli on it. Um, me, I make my own little little ones here. They're really nice. I've I've had them for like fifty days straight now, and they're just they all all the because it's not the meat 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 meat. It's basically vegetables with a little bit of meat, like a little bit of a uh, uh, prosciutto, the the little cubed pork, or the vegan version, and they're, they're really nice and just full of uh, all the vegetables you want. They're really tasty and simple to make as well. So I do that. Um, just as a reminder, um. If you enjoyed the Daily Inch, the Daily Inch, ooh, uh, that is currently running as the Weekly Inch on Patreon, uh, available to everyone on all tiers. So if you're on tier three, I can't remember how it goes. I think you get one a month. Uh, and then the, the higher up tier, you get, well, I can't remember what it goes. But, but if you're the highest tier, you get it weekly for eight weeks in a run. On the, There's eight in a season. Uh, if you're on uh, the $3 tier, then you, I think you get one. I can't remember. But if so far, as time of recording, you've missed an episode called Emergency Boobies, Ghost Yobs, and Mr. Fanny, Mr. Fanny Face Fungus. There you go. All highbrow stuff. Highbrow stuff. So there we go. Uh, so if you want to be part of that, join a patron. Lots of goodies. Even someone who joined the other day said, it's nice coming on my patron because there's a lot of original content. A lot. No disrespect to some podcasters, but they just they just churn out the same shite. Or they don't do that much. Whereas I try and give you something original and different. And there's stuff that I just... There's a lot of stuff, a lot of crime scene photos that I do not share anywhere else. So Patreon is the only place you will find it. It doesn't go on my blogs. doesn't go on social media. So uh, yeah, it's a good place to hide it out. Um, so yeah. Um, a th- here's a, a thank you to new patrons supporters. So thank you to uh, Leonie Butler, Mark Christie and Sarah Journo. So thank you, Leonie, Mark and Sarah. Thank you very much for becoming Patreon subscribers. And uh, of course, thank you to everyone who becomes a a, a recurring Patreon subscriber. Thank you for that. Patreon, do not tell us when you resubscribe at all. So um, it's it's good, but sometimes they keep details from us and we just go, it's not fully thought out. I don't think they speak to the content providers us to ask us what we want i think they just do their own thing and it's it's a nice system and you can get you know it's um a lot of people enjoy it and it's a nice way to kind of not only to support the the, the people who make your podcast but also you can contact us direct you know um 
it's it's difficult on to, to kind of deal to communicate with everyone on social media because there's so many platforms and it's really confusing and there's too many people asking questions and quite often I try and answer everyone but it can be a real nightmare whereas Patreon it's nice and simple and it's direct you can message me direct which is good uh oh thank you to uh some uh people who've left donations uh to support murder mile thank you very much you can you can support the show in multiple ways you can be a patron subscriber which are your goodies um if you if you don't want to do that you can do a a, a one-off donation either through the supporter link or the donations page or the, a really great way is just to leave a five-star review a nice five-star review of Murder Mile on whatever platform you listen to and to share it with your friends. That's kind of key. That's a really important one. Uh, so a thank you to Big Old Bob, uh, who uh, sent a donation via the supporter link. Thank you, Big Old Bob, who, whose initials there is Bob. Big Old Bob. Bob. Uh, and another one called Anonymous. Uh, either that's the uh, the group or it's someone who wants to be anonymous, or maybe their name is anonymous. Uh, they left a donation via the Murder Mile website using the donation click button. Click, click. That wasn't even words. Right, let's use some quiz questions. Of course, don't forget, I haven't edited this episode yet, so some of these may get edited out, so you might not be able to get 10 out of 10, because there might not be 10 things. And I don't edit Extra Mile deliberately. I deliberately don't edit it. Uh, even if there's a mistake, even if I make a big mistake here, I don't edit it. So, uh, yeah, that would be edited out, but it won't be. So um, let's do some questions and we'll do some answers to them shortly. Question number one. What was the nickname of Gladys's son? I've done it again. All the way through, I kept getting annoyed at myself because I'd written Gladys, but I'd and because it's Gladys's, I'd put the I put the comma in the wrong place. It was actually Gladys. Gladys. Oh, fucking idiot. I had to go and re repair all those halfway through. Otherwise, I couldn't get through them. Right. Uh, what was the nickname of Gladys's son? Question number two. Uh, what was the name of the three murders we've covered on Murder Mile, which happened near or on Lover's Walk? Good time to start. I've done this. The rain's about to start kicking down. And someone across uh, here is, is using an angle grinder on their boat. Ah, joy. Um, question number three: What was Gladys's full birth name? Question number four: What was the name of Gladys's aunt and uncle? The ones who she stayed with. Ooh, got burpees. Question number five: What part of London did her mother live in with her new husband? A new husband. As I hiccuped as I said the last word. Question number six: uh, Gladys was in the women's transport service. But what was it originally called? Question number seven. Uh, Gladys worked on three coasts as an ambulance driver, as far as we know. What were those three coasts? Question number eight. How much, how much had marriage rates increased by in 1939? <sighs> Question number eight. How much had marriage marriage rates increased by in 1939? See, I reset it and it still was shit. How much had marriage rates increased by in 1939? There, there we go. Question number nine. It is said how many men went into exile and formed as the first Polish corps? And question number ten. Uh, what was the address of where Gladys was billeted in Cooper? 
So there we go. I'm going to do some extra stuff. Uh, and then let's double check. We're still recording. We're still recording. Uh, and then we'll do the answers to the questions shortly. Of, unless, of course, I've edited them out. Whew, let's see how this peppermint tea is. Can't beat a peppermint tea. Yeah, nice, nice. And then I go to go to my little coffee shop in a bit, and they do a nice thick hot chocolate. Mmm, nice. Right. This was uh one of these cases where. I already did the kind of research in advance uh, to get some. What I've started doing now is giving us finding a file, going okay, the file's there, that's good. And then before I go into the archives, I do a little bit of research and just build a tiny little uh, biography around the people and the events, so I can just get an idea before I go in too blind, but not but not cover everything. Um, and the, as often happens with inquest files. When it's things like that are a bit of a case closed, the inquest file is literally non-existent. So there wasn't much in the file that I didn't already know in advance. I was hoping there'd be like little biographies in there, but there wasn't much. So I had to build as much as I could out of this. Um, the same thing happened with the with the lady who tried to murder her twin sons by gassing them in the oven. That inquest file was two pages. This one was about five. Um, so... Um, Ronald, uh, Ronald Severin Curris. Um, his death certificate says that he was 28, but some people said he was 32. We know that he was a Polish officer, a second lieutenant in the 1st Battalion uh, of the Polish Army Corps. Uh, we know his details because we've got his uh, uh, Polish Army identification card. Uh, we pretty much don't know very much about him. The, 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 either of these people Gladys and Ronnie they pretty much didn't say much about them um it's likely that he was conscripted given his age he was not he was not of a high rank he was 28 although some people say 32 not of a high rank so it's likely he was conscripted at the start of the war uh second lieutenant is not particularly high uh, where what are we going to do with this um also we we don't know much about him we don't know uh, much about his family i it suggested that he had a wife and kids but we don't know that whether he had a wife and kids he might not have done uh he could have been entirely by himself um we know that he couldn't return home as many of the polish soldiers couldn't uh, they kind of their country was uh, a massive war zone at that point it would be unsafe for them to go home it was kind of in the hands of different kind of armies so even even afterwards uh after the war was over it was you know with poland being ripped apart by kind of the allies and the 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 russians it was kind of like even after that point which if you go back to the uh what was the um the the the, the polish super spy i can't remember and a christina skarbek we go back to that episode or the countessa episode they're both kind of amazing kind of uh polish figures in kind of wartime history who couldn't go back home so if you want to know more kind of dive into those those stories um but as you can see it's kind of difficult for him we don't really know much about his life we don't know uh about his family it's it's we know that he didn't enjoy being in Cooper, even though it seems to be a very nice place and everyone made him feel very welcome. He definitely wanted to go back home, but he was clearly very smitten with Gladys. Um, she was uh, a nurse slash ambulance driver. So this is the days it was it was really kind of the Vietnam War that kind of uh, made 
the ambulance service or kind of what we had realized that kind of the value of having paramedics on scene having people on site who have expert knowledge about you know trauma and things like that on site was more beneficial than having someone with basic first aid skills who can drive go out and pick up a person and then drive them back because actually that the time between going out and coming back is kind of crucial so um so at this point um Gladys was it was said that she was a nurse and she was an ambulance driver so it's it's we're not quite too sure up to what level uh, we don't know much about her past either so we don't know whether she'd already trained as a nurse prior um everyone said that she was an expert driver in cars and motorbikes but that may have been something given the era it's kind of more likely that this was something that she learned to do um as part of her war service as opposed to being an expert psych, uh, motorcyclist prior but you never know we really don't know I've, I've searched i've tried to dive into her past there's almost nothing out there about what she what she did prior to this uh, we also don't know much about her husband or her son uh it's, it's the problem is wilson is such a um a familiar name as is her original name uh, which is one of the questions. You're welcome. I didn't give it away then. So yeah, it's 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 really hard to pin down. Gladys was also a popular name as well, and because uh, the press, it, her death certificate and the inquest records also list her age as different as well. So it's anywhere between thirty and fifty, even on official documents. So this it's this is why it's a nightmare to research who she was. Uh, so we'll to, to be honest, we will never know. Um, let's june 1942 so a couple of months before we know that she stopped being uh she stopped working out of cooper and she returned back to london we really don't know too much about that um could have been that maybe her son was coming back maybe her husband if they were even still together that we don't know either it's interesting we'll get to her um the final passage in her diary shortly but she doesn't mention her husband in that but she does mention her son so whether her and her husband had split by that point whether he had died we don't know it's everything is so vague in this so um so do you know she may not have been having an affair maybe she was a maybe she was a widower or maybe her husband was missing in action we don't know we just don't know so um it's all really vague it really is uh but we do know that she uh she'd applied uh to the uh transport corps as they were called uh, also known as the transport ministry there's so many names for different things uh and she was meant to start her new job in leeds monday the 31st of august 1942 so a couple of days before she was before she was killed uh what's that down there it's a bit of rug i got a bit of rug rocking up um what else we got as mentioned in the episode uh ronald had taken uh, 72 hours leave uh so with as mentioned in the uh episode to do with the guys who killed the captain um in the in the alley in uh soho i did that i think it was like episode 185 or something um you're given a leave pass and a leave pass isn't just here you go here's 42 hours fuck off and do whatever you like a leave pass is you leave here at this set time you take this train you go to this place this is where you stay uh, and then you return at this point so literally any policeman can approach a soldier and say 
why aren't you in your barracks? And you can go, I'm on leave. And they go, do you have a leave pass? Yes, here is the leave pass. And it will say where they are and what they're meant to be doing and when they're meant to be back. And if you're, if you're not doing what your leave pass states, you're in the shit. It was just a kind of a good way of making sure that people didn't go AWOL because that was the real problem that they had was people just, you know, if, you, if you're in a war zone and you're seeing horrible things and then suddenly someone goes, here you go, uh, piss off for three days, you get drunk, you have a bit of fun and you think to yourself, do I really want to go back? Could this be the last time that I'll be with my pals and stuff like that? So, yeah, it's... um. You can understand why. So, um, yeah, Ronald um, didn't go back on the... I think he was due back on the Sunday. Um, so he went AWOL, or as they very nicely, uh, all of his comrades called it, they said he was taking French leave, which means going AWOL. Uh, as you can see, Brit British soldiers don't have a lot of respect for the French uh, soldiers or Italian. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to go into all the Italian soldier jokes. There's enough of them out there. Uh, <laughs> although I think I think we all know enough Italian soldier jokes. Uh, I'm sure they're I'm sure they're very good at what they do. They just don't have a good reputation in Britain. Um, so yeah, um, going AWOL may sound kind of uh, you know, or he'll get a slap on the wrist. But don't forget, in 1939, when uh, the war was about to begin, they were emptying the prisons, not just for spies, but they were emptying them for deserters. Uh, they they knew there were going to be a lot of people who didn't want to conscript. It was your uh, your uh, your duty to uh, to fight for your country in whatever way the kind of the government said, uh, but if you went AWOL, that was considered really really bad. Well, we mentioned that in the um, the uh, the captain episode one eight five, I think that was. Um, so you could get anywhere between two to ten years in prison, depending on whether you went AWOL or whether you were a deserter, which is a lot considering the, the fact that they needed a lot of soldiers. Um, some soldiers during World War One uh, were shot um, for being deserters, i.e. going AWOL. Um, some were given death sentences in World War Two, but these were these were never undertaken. These were they they ended up being kind of life in prison. But this this would be going AWOL and then assaulting a senior officer, which was something really really senior serious. Um, we the boarding house i'll put some some pictures up of a 13 coliseum terrace it's literally at the back of regent's park and baker street it's right next to the home of william raven who is the uh if you go to the william raven episode it literally is around the corner from that it's nice now we've got hundreds of episodes to kind of go through that all of these stories now are kind of coming to the point now where what i dreamed of at the start was all these places crossing over each other and kind of buildings next to each other and you can start seeing that all of these different buildings and places are overlapping and there's murder on every street in every building so you just got to dig deep and find it um in so they both are diaries uh, in ronald's diary i as i was going through i started editing it down and i I realised I needed to make his diary nice and simple. But this is the full version. Well, this is the full version. Unfortunately, um, only one page exists and we know it carried on. Uh, it was really annoying. So he wrote, uh, To make things easier, I inform you that we both spent 10 days at Coliseum Terrace 13. We are absolutely two broken people. She has a trouble with MTO, which is the 
Ministry of Transport that she was going to work for. Uh, we are finished with money to stay in a hotel. That's that. She give up always everything for me, also her life. I didn't write about this, but one of the causes of my death. I also some tragedy, which happens first, firstly in June. We don't know what the tragedy was. I didn't make anything wrong, but happened something to me so fantastic that nobody would believe it is true. One day I... C- and that's where it ends. Really annoying. Literally ends there. So we don't know what the tragedy was that happened in June. Maybe it was her not working in Cooper anymore and having to leave away. He uses the word something fantastic to me, but it could... It might not be fantastic as in, hey, fantastic. It could be fantastic as in unbelievable. Uh, so it could be a bad thing. We don't know what happened. We don't know what the, uh, some tragedy that he talks about. So it's really vague. Her diary entry that same day in her handwriting said to my mother, and then it's got her mother's address on there. Uh, Just in case anything happens to me today, Ronnie is still here. He should have returned yesterday, but says he cannot live without me in this awful place where his regiment is. He threatens all the time to kill himself and me. I love him, but I don't want to die. Um, Her son's nickname there must contact Mr. Karras at Dawes Road. See, this is where even though she's written a note that is basically I'm really worried this is going to happen to me. What she's thinking about in her dying moments is of her son. So uh my son must contact mr Karras at doors road we don't know what for perhaps he will buy the furniture and will uh and my son will have the money only he must pay me on september 18th she would be long dead by then of this amount each month each month must be given to her son's name uh, as i leave everything to him i hope everything will be all right but ronnie is in a terrible state about going back we have had a wonderful leave together Gladys um, and even the final bit is uh, regarding her son uh, sh- uh, her son should immediately contact my friend in the city re-allowance that was the last words that she wrote and that's it we really don't know what happened we know they, they made their way into the park they were seen around 9.30pm so it would have been dark by that point uh, middle of June yeah it would have been kind of getting kind of dusky around that point they went into Hyde Park they were walking around as people do it's kind of an open park you can do that um the the shots were heard about 11 40 p.m uh near kind of Stanhope Gate uh it's we don't really know what, what they were doing there it, it there doesn't seem to have been a fight no one heard any shouts or screams she had no defensive wounds on her um it looked unlikely that she was planning uh to be part of a suicide pact because she'd said to her mum i'll be back late but oh no i'll be back but i won't be late and she'd already packed her bag and she was getting ready to get start a new job so she was moving on but clearly it looks like this would have been a moment where she was going to say to him it's over he already knew that she was going to leeds because she'd called him up a couple of I, I think it was a couple of days before he'd come down on on leave so she'd already called him to say i'm going to be moving to Leeds and possibly possibly to the Middle East so uh he was coming down to say goodbye to her but they clearly had a kind of a romantic time together as kind of a farewell um they were under a tree uh it's described as overturned seats but other people describe it as 
uh, benches. So it's really hard to pin down exactly exactly what it looked like. There's no crime scene photos there because they weren't dead at the time um, at the time they were found. Uh, what was the get rid of there? Yeah, uh, the gun used was his army issue service revolver found in his right hand he was wearing his military uniform uh, three shots had been fired from a, a smith a smith and wesson 0.386 chamber revolver uh, number 862480 containing three live rounds and three spent cartridges uh, in their pockets uh, when her handbag was found her diary in his pocket was found his diary um two P- pcs found them pc uh, Heath and PC Gillespie were on duty in Hyde Park. Don't forget, just on the north eastern perimeter of uh, Hyde Park, where you've got Marble Arch, that was being used as a police station. You've also got a police station right in the centre of Hyde Park, which is where uh, PC Jack Avery came from, the guy who was murdered by the homeless man. See, all these stories coming together. Um. They heard three shots in rapid succession, two and then one. They ran in the direction of the shooting, uh, which was 100 yards west of Stanhope Gate, onto Lover's Walk. But she was kind of slumped over him, uh, so it looks like he shot her, then took her, held onto her as she was dying, kind of in his arms. Then he put the gun to his head and then blew his brains out. Uh, it looks like his shot was... Uh, he looked like he died pretty quick. But her shots weren't that accurate. Oh, really? uh, they were taken to St George's Hospital, which is on uh, Hyde Park Corner, uh, just off Park Lane. That's not there anymore, but I think uh, the building's still there. Um, so, so they weren't too far away. They were a minute, a minute in the, in the ambulance, if that. I mean, you could see St George's Hospital from there, so. Yeah, Uh, but when they got there, Dr. Nichols, who was the house surgeon, determined life was extinct. Um, I think that's it. Autopsy was done by Dr. Donald Tear. She was identified by her brother. He was identified by Captain Stefan Kopniski. Glad I didn't put that in the episode. Um, I would have spent a little while rehearsing that one anyway uh and the gun and ammo uh, identified as property of the polish army and was handed back to them uh, i think that's it i think that's it i think that's everything there is not much more to say about that sad story hope you enjoyed it what i try to do every week is try and try and give you something different i know some people like listen to an episode and they go oh i didn't find that one sad and it's like you're not meant to find it sad it's like sad ones I make them sad. It's like, what I try and do is, if there's a sad, like, I'll give you a sad one, then I'll give you a confusing one, then it'll be a mystery one, then it'll be a kind of a scary one, then a funny one, and then, you know, then then we'll do another sad one. So I don't, because otherwise, if you have a sad one, 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 even though the first one will seem sad, and probably the third one is probably the saddest one, it won't seem as sad because you've already had two sad ones prior to that. So I always try and balance things out, so make everything different otherwise what's the point in listening to the same episode every week so uh this is a sad one although who knows maybe you didn't find it sad who knows um uh question okay let's do the quiz questions you can tell i'm getting tired now 
I've run out of steam. I've run out of steam already. Maybe I just want my uh, hot chocolate. Mm, what time is it? What time? What time is love? Oh, boat coming in. Oh, 10 to 2. Good. Boat coming in. Who is it? Boat with... How much shit have you got on your roof? So many boats with shit on their roof. Just shit pallets. Crap. Just crap. There you go, boats going too past, fast, and my boat's kind of banging against the side. Full of shit. The, the, worst, the thing is, when you're on your boat, you need to get to front and back at any point because you never know when you're going to be on whatever sides of the boat. Oh, they've got a doggy. Well, that's all right then. I will let them off. They've got a nice doggy. But you've got, to, you've got to be able to get from one side to the other at, at any point. And if your roof is full of shit, you can't do that. So some people don't think. Anyway, they've got a doggy, so that's all right. Question number one. What was the nickname of Gladys's son? It was Budge. We don't know what it means. We don't know whether it's an abbreviation of his name or whether it's short for Budgie. We just know he's called Budge. Question number two. Uh, name any of the three murders we've covered on or near Lover's Walk. They were the Bloody Butler, which is the two-parter we did, uh, Ruby Bolton, which is the two-parter on The uh, Bearded Man, and Julia Mangan and Robert Williams, which was uh, in uh, London at Midnight, the one uh, which happened on Lover's Walk, literally about 100 feet away from this part. Question number three, what was Gladys's full birth name? It was Gladys Maud Pearson. Question number four. What was the name of Gladys's aunt and uncle? If you're royalist, you should have got this. It was Uncle William and Auntie Kate. Ooh, lo lovely Princess Kate. Ooh, says Peace Police Constable Arsenal Guinness. <laughs> Almost Police Constable Arsenal Guinness's birthday soon, so everyone get your uh, get your Guinnesses ready. Um, question number five. What part of London did Gladys's mother live in with her new husband? It was Baron's Court. Question number six. Uh, Gladys was in the Women's Transport Service. But what was it originally called? It was originally called the First Aid Nursing Yeomanry. Also known as Fanny's. <laughs> that's why i couldn't put that in the episode because i knew i wouldn't be able to make it through the episode giggling away at the fact that it was called fannies and i have to keep referring to gladys as one of the fannies so i didn't do that i was i was a good boy i was a brave boy i didn't put in something deliberately silly uh question number seven uh gladys possibly worked on three coasts as an ambulance driver but what three coasts uh, North France, Norway, and West Scotland. Question number eight. How much had marriage rates increased by in 1939? See, I did that properly then. Uh, it was 250%. And don't forget that was um, not a full year. So it was really the war was declared in September. Even though people were, there were mutterings of it for a couple of years prior, it was kind of that was when it really kicked off. So it's kind of the bulk of those marriages were the end of 1939. Um, 
a lot of this information uh, we also got from ring shops. Apparently, uh, the amount of people who went out and bought wedding rings went through the roof. It really did. Uh, question number nine. Uh, it is said how many men went into exile and formed the first Polish corps? Um, according to data, it was 80,000. Um, and question number 10. What was the address of where Gladys was billeted in Cooper? Good luck to anyone who got this one. It was Lodge 19 at 72 Bonnygate, uh, which is a building which is still there today. 20 helicopter flying over. Uh, and uh, it was a Masonic Lodge. So there we go. I think that's me done. <sighs> Thank you, everyone, for, for listening to me waffle on at the end. Waffle, 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 waffle. The king of waffle. Anyway that's me done i'm gonna it's it hasn't started pissing down now i'm gonna take a little tiny walk <sighs> walk up to the shop drop off a couple of mugs which are going out to some new patron subscribers who've um who i was gonna say enlisted or conscripted into the murder the, the murder mile army uh so there we go they're gonna get some nice murder mile mugs of goodies uh, and then i'm gonna have my hot chocolate uh and then it's good because the cafe shuts at five o'clock which is great so at five o'clock, I can't work any time beyond that. They're like, okay, piss off now. And I'm like, brilliant. Uh, I'm going to go to Tesco's tonight and buy some buy some more lovely stuff. Brilliant. Oh. Anyway, my life is that exciting. Uh, I'm going to get Eva some Alka-Seltzer because she's run out. She gets through about, about 30 packs a day. She's just constantly hungover. But her way to get through the hangover is just to keep drinking keep drinking keep boozing therefore the second she gets a what she calls a bastard behind the right eye she starts necking the booze again yeah it's amazing you watch her on tv and films and she looks so composed but it's, it's me holding her up me holding her up and working her jaw to make it look like she's moving but really she's unconscious she really is beautiful but unconscious uh, anyway that's me done for the day well, not for the day, because I've still got to edit this, which will be two and a half days of editing. Oh, joy, Michael. So, I hope you enjoy it. Have yourself a good, have yourself a good day, folks. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.